Hello, good morning. Great to be here with you as the family of God here this morning. If I've not met you yet, um, I've been working at Grace Church for almost five years. I think next month is the fifth anniversary, so um, congratulations, Grace Church. You've done really well in securing me for this amount of time. <laughs> but the, the main thing I do in my job is um, get involved in our social justice ministries, which is a real value for us as a church, that we know and love people well in our community and beyond as well. So we run a food bank here, and it's an opportunity for us to get to know folks and invite them back into our place and our space, and ultimately we'd just love for people to get to know God on a deeper level. You may also have heard about our 12 o'clock service, which happens on a Wednesday. And this is aimed at people who we might meet through Food Bank to come back in, to encounter God, to spend time with us, to become disciples and build family. And then we have a great free lunch at the end of it as well. So we'd uh, love to see you around on a Wednesday if ever you want to pop in. You're very welcome. The other part of my job is... Um, in helping us establish um, a relationship with a church in Malawi. You may have heard us speak about City Christian Centre in Blantyre before, and Chris, who was leading worship, um, is joining me on Friday, along with a few others, to go back to Malawi for 10 days. So we're off later on this week. And we're really going to be focusing on what this partnership looks like for us as Grace Connection, Grace Church, King's Church Birmingham, and Revelation Church Manchester, and the guys over at CCC and their sister church over in Pensulo Village as well. And we've, we've got to know one another well, but now it's time to, to really press into what does this partnership mean practically for all of us. So uh, looking forward to exploring that with them. We're also going to be doing some leadership development together. You may have heard of this course that we run here, which is a fantastic way of people just discovering more about who God has made them to be and the part that they have to play in the church and in their lives as well. So looking forward to seeing what that might look like for the guys over in Malawi. And also Ben and Becca Allen, you may have heard a couple of months ago, um, a lovely couple here in the church, are hoping to move over in September for a whole year. So we'll hear a lot more about that in the lead up, but Ben uh, will be coming with us in this um, smaller team this time to come and figure out what you're going to be doing and that kind of thing. <laughs> so do pray for us if you think of it. You may have heard that there's been flooding over in that part of the world. And while we're there, we really want to chat with Scriven, the pastor, and especially the guys in the village who have been affected by it and come back and see what our response as Grace Connection can be to that as well. Anyway, that's by the by. What we're going to be reading is Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 to 18. So it's going to be up on the screen. We're using the NIV today, so feel free to read along. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, has shattered the enemy. 
In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue. I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. Amen. Great song. Thanks, Moses. I wonder how you respond when good things happen in your life. We can uh, take a lesson here from Moses because musicals do, in fact, have the answer, and a song is always the correct and right response to absolutely any situation. I mean, who can forget that moment in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang when the lady sang, Oh, what a lovely, lonely man? No one, because it was rubbish. But musicals do still have the answer in some cases. We've all seen it. There's that pause as people draw breath, and you know that a song is going to come and perfectly capture the moment. And this is what we see here. A big thing has just happened, and there's a pause before Moses and the people of God then explore all that God has done and celebrate with him for what he has brought them through. So the significant experience that has just happened to them is a biggie. I want you to put yourself in the picture here alongside the Israelites. There's hundreds of thousands of people who have walked for miles on a sea bed as waters stand up like a wall beside you. They've just been pursued by the best army in the world who wanted to destroy them. And they've just escaped because God then crashed the water in on top of them, wiping them out. It's a very tense experience that we come into at the end of chapter 14, where we see this song is the response to, oh my goodness, look what God has just done. And I wonder what you would do in this moment. The Israelites are quite familiar at this point with seeing the wonders of God. This is not the first time he's acted decisively on their behalf. In the first part of Exodus, um, there's a whole story leading up to this point 
which we've been talking about over the last couple of months. So we found the Israelites at the beginning of Exodus under the oppression of slavery, where they'd been for 80 years. And in chapter 2, it says that they groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And in chapter 3, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned with their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, which is what he did. God made Moses his co-worker, and together they got Pharaoh to let the people go. There was a series of 10 warnings from God to Pharaoh, starting with annoyances, working all the way through to utter devastation as the firstborn in each Egyptian family was taken in death. And the people of God escaped that through the Passover when God didn't subject that to them. They escaped that devastation. And here in our story, as they pass through the Red Sea and get to the other side, they are free, not only from slavery, not only from the rule and control of Pharaoh, but even the land of Pharaoh as well. The Red Sea was the border, the cutoff. So they are free, and they're into a good and spacious land, as God promised them. Now, this story in Exodus is a model for us in the Bible which helps us understand that God is so interested in bringing his people out and then into freedom. And in our lives as Christians, we have been brought out from a type of slavery where we were trying to live life by ourselves, making it work, taking responsibility, providing for ourselves, trying to figure it out alone and do the best that we can. And we are now free to open our hands and hearts to God and say, I need you. We are free to surrender before him and ask for everything that we need and know that by his spirit and in his truth, we will, he will fulfill his promises to us. He will provide for us. He will figure it out for us. He will guide us and let us know his plan for our lives. So Moses has decided to sing. This is his response to these significant events that God has done. And there's a model in this song that I want to chat through this morning. Because what Moses does in this song is he reflects personally on what God has done. He indulges in the joy of the moment. He trusts God for the future. And then he repeats it, which is what we're going to do this morning. Um, probably every human being that's ever existed knows, because I've told you, that I'm getting married in the summer. <laughs> if I haven't thrust my ring in your face, then I'm happy to do so a little bit later. But Steve here is a very lucky guy. <laughs> the luckiest of men, you could say. This is a really big deal. And uh, I'm totally thrilled and delighted. I didn't know this was going to happen. This is like really great news. And sometimes I catch myself in that moment of like... <gasps> Ah, this is really happening. And I was just thinking about this earlier in the week and how this model 
that Moses gives us in Exodus 15 is such a fab way at responding to that moment of, ooh, there's some real joy going on here. I love the idea of just reflecting on the journey that God has brought me on to this point and to where I am now, to thanking him for what he's done in my life and what I'm looking forward to as well. And to indulge in that moment of joy. For me, it was um, driving past Sainsbury's. I'm not sure Sainsbury's was the cause of the joy, but there was a moment in the car of just, oh, <laughs> this is really amazing. So thankfully, it was a red light, so I had time to like, have a little whoop. But um, it was a great moment of just receiving that gift of joy from God and going for it. And I think Moses is inviting us all into this today. Whatever that looks like for you, it may not mean a big explosive noise, which it probably does do for me, but it may be a quieter way, like Julie was saying as well in her story, doing something to express what God has done in our lives and to say thank you for it. But the way that Moses does it in this song, he makes it really personal. We can hear his heart. I'm just going to read verse 2 again. He says, The Lord is my strength. He's my defense. He has become my salvation He is my God and I will praise him, my Father's God and I will exalt him. And through this song, we can hear different ways that he describes God. He says, He's a warrior, He is majestic in holiness, He is awesome in glory, He is working wonders, He is my redeemer, He is my guide, and He reigns forever and ever. Moses is telling God in his own words his appreciation for who God is to him. And as we come to God day by day and acknowledge who he is, it's so important for us to use our own words, our own appreciation, not just churn through what we normally say or sing or do, but really take stock of what God has done for us personally and express back to him like Moses does. Make it yours. Like, who is God to you today? What is he like for you today? This is our appreciation of God. And one of the values we have here at Grace Church, as we've seen this morning, is during our worship time, it says in 1 Corinthians that we all have something to bring to God in worship. This is why we value so highly hearing the stories and the prayers of individual lives, appreciating God. And together as a family, it builds us, it deepens our faith in him. And especially if we're running on empty or running low on a Sunday morning, just to hear that appreciation of God from our friends and family here is such a faith builder. So if this is something that you've done before or never done before, then I just encourage you, go for it. Sundays are a great opportunity for all of us to express our appreciation to God. So, love to hear your voice. Moses takes stock of the situation as he reflects and thanks God. And we see um, different descriptions here between the Egyptian army, the enemy, and the unrivaled power of God. In verse 4, we're told that this is the best of Pharaoh's officers. And a guy called Douglas Stewart puts it like this. They were the best Egypt has to offer. Since Egypt's military was the best in the world of that day, they were the world's best troops. And their officers, the best of the best. So you get the point. 
they were pretty good. They were the pinnacle of human strength in that day. And no wonder in verse 9, they're being all cocky. They said, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. I mean, they were chasing hundreds of thousands of refugees. And in any other situation on any other day, they would have overtaken them, they would have destroyed them, but they were no match against the power of God. And God didn't even come out with a big sword (laughs) and fight. In verse 10, it says his breath. He breathed his breath and the waters covered them. Such is his authority and his power. So presumably, we're not being chased by an army today. But we do have enemies in our lives to discovering freedom, to coming out of and into a spacious place. As Christians, we face enemies in lots of different forms, and sometimes that is in the form of people, like the guys here in our story. Maybe you're working with somebody who you cannot get on with, and you just don't know how you can be a good Christian who loves them and forgives them and got their back and supports them, when really you cannot respect them or even really like them. It's a very tough situation. Or in families, I think family is the most wonderful expression of God's love and heart for us. But when there's tension and when there's deep pain, you can't escape. Where is the way through? Or maybe it's a lack of people in your life. You long for those friendships which just give you spark and energy, people who really properly know you, but they're just not around at the moment. God's breath in this story was enough to overcome the enemy. And his breath today is enough for us. Thank you, Francis. We are free today to breathe in the breath of God into our difficulties, into the people, troubles that we have, into the other enemies that we have to our freedom. The second thing that Moses does in this song is he indulges in joy. In verse 1, it says, I will sing. And in verse 2, he says, I will praise him. And uh, I just imagine him in this moment, having seen this massive thing happen, just get that bubble of joy and just have to, in some way, respond to it and externalize When I walk down the Riverline near where I live, there's a little circuit there. It takes about 25 minutes. And it's a great place for me just to chat with God and tell him all the stuff that's going on and invite him into my day. And occasionally, on a very, very good day, I see the kingfisher. I like to think of him as my kingfisher. And a couple of times a year, you see this flash of blue whiz on by. And I know that that is a gift from God for me in that moment to feel a ridiculous level of joy. And um, there's been some embarrassing moments when anyone within earshot will be hollered at, <laughs> did you say that? And um, slightly extroverted. But just uh, responding to that moment is a great thing for us to do as Christians. And it doesn't need to be like that. And it doesn't need to be uh, in accordance to our circumstances. But when we feel that bubble of joy, it's a great investment for us 
to indulge in it, to sit down in it, to enjoy it, to make the most of it. Whatever that looks like for you in those moments, go for it. This is a marker for us as disciples of Jesus that we are given this gift of joy from God to fuel us and to fill us and to mark us out from anybody else on the planet because we're very good at pleasure-seeking as people for creating for ourselves moments of happiness, but the gift of God to us is joy and it's long-lasting and it's totally transformative. The third thing that we see in this song is that what has happened before enables Moses to trust God for his future. So this song points to the new season of life that the Israelites have found themselves in. They've escaped from slavery and they are now entering into a whole new place that none of them have ever been to before. All they have to go on is what God has just done as their foundation for faith for the future. And they have plenty of fuel for the fire. Because God guided them out of Egypt, they can trust him to guide them to his holy dwelling, in verse 13. Because God rescued them from their enemies in Egypt, they can trust him to rescue them from future enemies. We talked about um, Philistia and Edom and Moab and Canaan, in verses 14 to 15, and these are real enemies that the Israelites will face. And yet this song was written way before they faced them. Um, God was prophetically saying, don't worry about it. I blew with my breath and overcame that enemy, and I will provide for you in the future for upcoming enemies as well. So how can our past, how can your past, pave the way for your future faith? I think it would be a great idea probably just to buy a little notebook or something and write down when I know God has just done something or answered a prayer or won a victory in my life because it happens so often and yet I'm so quick just to move on and forget about it. But you know those small moments, those prayers of like, God, please just help me in this thing. And then he does. That would be a great thing to then record and reflect and thank him and fill that faith for the future rise. And there's bigger victories in our lives as well, those really big prayers that you might be praying for a long time to see God break through and do something. What a cause for faith for the future when that happens. God's motivation for doing almost everything that he does is to establish our trust in him. His purpose, his end goal, is in building his kingdom, his people, to be with him forever. And that includes us, and our lives are an example of his activity. And his motivation is to get us safely there to be with him. So he gives us evidences of his provision and his grace. He is working to establish our trust in him. So the people of Israel had good reason to trust him, but we have more. We don't stop where they stopped in their story. We've gone far further beyond that. They are on the brink of entering a physical new land with the promise of entering into the dwelling of God in their future. But we have already been brought in 
to the dwelling of God in our present. That because of Jesus, we are now fully in to what they looked forward to. And we do, of course, look forward to the fulfillment of it when we get to be with him forever and ever. To, I love that line in that song we just learned, to gaze upon the face of Jesus when we get there. How amazing that will be. But this future faith really fuels us for now to have trust in him, that in our earthly life here and now, that he's providing for us and he has everything that we need. Moses says in verse 17, you will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The word dwelling here is quite similar to a word used in John chapter 10, where Jesus is talking to people about coming in to be where God is, to know him, to love him, to be safely found in him. And in that chapter, Jesus calls himself the gate that the sheep enter to come into the dwelling of God. And later on in 10, uh, John 10, verse 10, he actually says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. A little bit later on in Ephesians, Paul prays that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And I love this idea of life to the full and being filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I mean, what a concept. I want to invite you just for a minute, just to close your eyes. And make it personal. This is for you and you alone. What does life to the full look like for you? What do you do? What do you stop doing? What would you have? And what does being filled to the measure of all the fullness of God look like for you? What an incredible concept. What do you feel? What do you get rid of? Because we are free today in this moment to ask God what life to the full looks like for us. And we are free to ask him to fill us to the measure of all of the fullness of God. One of the best books I've ever read, which completely changed my life, is called Irresistible Revolution. I don't know if any of you have read it, by a a Deep South guy called um, Shane Claiborne from America. And um, he wrote about reading the words of Jesus and doing it. No questions, no excuses, just read it and go. And it completely blew my mind. I read it about 10 years ago. And... um, I know the interns since have been reading it. Rosie's made them. (laughs) But it's such a great book. There's so many inspiring stories of just what does it mean when we take the words of Jesus at face value and go for it. And for him, he got up to all sorts of adventures. So he he called up Mama T, or Mother Teresa as we know her, (laughs) over in India. And um, he asked if he could just pop along and volunteer for a while. So he went to India and he volunteered with a place called the Home for the Destitute and Dying, 
which is a nun-run home where the poorest of the poor, who were in their last days of their life, would get brought in and bathed and fed and made comfortable and given peace and dignity before they then passed away. What a beautiful place. And he went and volunteered there for a while. He went and found um, the, the leper colony, and he helped out there, bandaging people up and not being able to say anything in their own language. He had a profound moment just looking at them and just sensing the love of God given and received. And I love these stories of what full life to the full looks like in the lives of different kinds of people. He then went back home and um, started living in community with other Christians in Philadelphia and lived out what church looks like for them, life to the full in that context as well. And for us, it may not mean hopping on a plane, but it may mean that. I, we are free today to ask God what life to the full really looks like in a very expansive way, like for Ben and Becca, for now, they're hopping on a plane. They're going to go and build the church in another place because God has put that on their heart to do. For me, 10 years ago when I read that book, I asked God, what does that mean for me? And I hopped on a plane and went to Uganda for 16 months and volunteered there for a bit. And I got to meet street kids and they broke my heart and I've never been the same since. And I got to know people I had no business knowing whatsoever apart from God had said, Life to the full for you now looks like this. And it was wonderful, and I'd never exchange any of those experiences. And if you do feel that God is asking you to be somewhere else, to be building his church and his kingdom somewhere else, then we would love to support you and help you get there. Because we are a family here together, and we want to build the kingdom of God wherever it is he sends us. But I would guess for a lot of us, it does mean being here and in our normal-ish lives here in Nottingham. It's about asking him what life to the full looks like for us here and now. And we're free to do that. We're not being chased by chariots, but we do have enemies who are pursuing us, trying to steal our freedom away for, from us today. Life can be really busy and hectic, and chaotic, and there's no time, and there's no sleep, and everything is happening, and everybody wants a piece of me. And maybe your enemy to freedom today is just this crowding out of life happening all at the same time. But you are still free today to breathe in the breath of God and ask him, I've got all this stuff, and yet I want to know life to the full today. Or maybe you just feel stuck in a rut. Life's chugging along, I suppose, but it's not great. I should probably feel happier than I do. I'm not really sure what I'm meant to be doing. You're free today to breathe in the breath of God and ask him, what does life to the full mean for me today? God um, led me into a new um, area of freedom this year, and I really wasn't looking for it, and I don't think I knew it happened until after it had happened, if you've ever done that. <laughs> you don't realize you need something until you've got it, but um, I realized this year, which um, a fact which anyone who knows me knows very well, but I had no idea, which is um, I'm a completely imperfect, incomplete person. Total revelation to me! 
<laughs> I thought, um, I have to take responsibility for people. I have to make sure they're okay. I am their only solution for help and for happiness, so I have to do this and be this for everybody. And God just told me very vividly one morning, mm -mm. <laughs> you are broken and you are incomplete and you are insufficient and you are inadequate. And I don't mean this in a low self-esteem way. I mean this in the truest way. I am made to be desperately in need of God. He is our all in all. He is my sufficiency. And I was so liberated from realizing, oh, I don't have to be everything that everyone needs. God alone fills that in all of us and in myself. I don't need to take responsibility for all of this. All I need to do is bring my needy self to him and ask that he will fill me and help me to do the right things that he's asking of me each day. The final thing that Moses teaches us in this song is the importance of repetition. So this is actually no normal song, this one. This will be sung by Moses and his sister Miriam, who then taught it to the people to be repeated all the way through their lives and their children's lives, and it goes down the generation until Revelation 15, when we will all be singing it. It says, the people of God in heaven sing the song of Moses. This song right here. So it's great that we've got a head start on it today, get you in the frame of mind for what we're going to be doing for all eternity. When we finish reflecting on what God has done and thanking him, indulging in the joy that he gives us in those moments and trusting him, asking him for life to the full, to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, we then start again. We go back to the beginning and he will pour into us fresh revelation and fresh experience of him so that this cycle will never end for us in our lives. We have a beautiful model in this song of something we can each step into today. So that's what we're going to do. Chris, we're going to spend a bit of time now reflecting on what God has done in our lives, choosing to indulge the joy of the moment, and singing like Moses has done. Do you want to stand? I'm just going to read one more verse from this song. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Let's bring our praise to him. <laughs>